Chapter Twenty Three of Mister Trunnell, Mate of the Ship Pirate. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Mister Trunnell, Mate of the Ship Pirate, by T. Jenkins Haynes, Chapter Twenty Three. When we rode back to the ship, Trunnell was looking at us through the glass up to the time we came under the pirate's counter. He evidently could see that our skipper wasn't with us, and it seemed as if he could not quite make up his mind to the fact, but must keep looking through the telescope as though the powerful glass would bring the missing one into view. We ran up to the channels, and he looked over the side. A line of heads in the waist told of the curiosity among the men forward. I said nothing, and nothing was said, until the painter was made fast and Ford had sprung on deck. "'He ain't with ye, Rawling?' asked Trunnell. I was too much disgusted to answer. The empty boat was enough to satisfy any reasonable person. Chips came to the rail and leaned over as I came up the chain-plates. "'Twas so, then, the rascal! But what makes the bloody hooker move? She's slanting away as if the devil himself were holding of her forefoot. "'Steam, you poor idiots!' I cried out in disgust for it was evident that even Trunnell couldn't tell what made the shark get headway, although now the smoke poured handsomely from her masthead. Trunnell scratched his bushy head and seemed to be thinking deeply. Then he put down the glasses and led the way aft without a word, Chips and I following. We went below and found Mrs. Sackett and Jenny in the saloon. "'Where's the captain?' they asked in a breath. "'Faith, and he's changed ships, if you please,' said Chips." and left the little thing behind he would have liked to have taken with him, I said. "'What was the matter?' they both asked. Chips and I tried to tell, but we soon made a tangle of it, the only thing coherent being the fact that the fellow was a crook and had left his trunk behind. This was so heavy that Chips had failed to lift it. "'I always knew he was not a sea-captain,' cried Jenny. "'I don't see how you men let him fool you so badly.' Chips and I looked at the mate, but he simply scratched his head. "'Discipline is discipline,' he said. "'He war captain of this here chip, and there were no way to do but to obey his orders. No, sir, discipline is discipline, and the sooner you get it through your heads, the better.' "'But he isn't captain any longer,' I said. "'Well, I don't know about that,' said Trunnell. If he ain't a-coming back, he ain't a-captain, sure. But you can't tell nothing about it. He may come aboard again in a little while, and want to know why we didn't wait dinner for him. "'He sure would take his trunk,' said Gunning. "'And dat's a fact.' "'Why would he?' asked Mrs. Sackett. "'Cause he take good care of dat trunk, ma'am. He sleep with one eye on it and his gun handy.' I come near getting killed once when I come into the cabin sudden-like, while he was at work over the things inside. "'For heaven's sake, let's look at it,' said Mrs. Sackett. "'Tis the best thing we could do,' said Chips. "'Tis no less than solid gold he stowed in it. Faith is as heavy as the main-yard.' Mrs. Sackett led the way to the captain's room, and Trunnell made no further resistance. She opened the door, and we crowded inside. There lay the trunk on the floor or deck ahead of us. "'Try your hand at the lifting of the thing,' said Chips to me. I reached down and took hold of the handle at the side. 
Pulling heavily, I lifted with all my power. The trunk remained stationary. "'There's nothing but gold in that thing, sure,' said Gunning. "'Well, for heaven's sake, why don't someone open it?' cried Jenny. "'And have him a-coming back aboard? A wantin' to know who had been at it, eh?' said Trunnell. "'I didn't think you were that kind of missy.' "'Nonsense,' I said. "'He isn't coming back. Even if he is, it won't hurt to lift it, will it?' "'No, I don't know as it will. Only it might upset them charts,' said Trunnell. "'Try it,' I said. "'See if it's gold. It'll clink when you shake it, sure.' The little giant stooped and gave a grunt of disdain. "'I reckon there ain't nothing that size I can't lift,' said he in a superior tone, which was not lost on the women. Trunnell seldom bragged, and we crowded around looking for quick results. "'A little bit of trunk a-breaking the backs of a pair of fellows as has the impudence to say they are men, and question the discipline of the ship,' he said with a loud grunt of disgust. "'Stand clear and let a man have a chance. If it's gold and you're right, it'll rattle and jingle fast enough, and I hopes then you'll be satisfied.' He took a strong hold of the leather handle at the side and braced his little legs wide apart. It was evident he would put forth some power. Then he set the great muscles of his broad back slowly, like a dray-horse testing the load before putting forth his strength. Slowly and surely the little mate's back raised— he grew red in the face, and we peered over the treasure, hoping it would rise and give forth the welcome jingle. Suddenly there was a ripping sound. Trunnell straightened up quickly, staggered for an instant, and then pitched forward over the trunk, uttering a fierce oath. Mrs. Sackett screamed. Jenny burst into a wild fit of laughter. Chips and Gunning stood staring with open mouths and eyes, while Trunnell picked himself up with the trunk handle in his iron fist. "'Faith, and you are a good strong man,' said the carpenter. "'You'd make a fortune as a porter a-lifting trunks at a hotel.' "'He can lift a little thing like that,' said Jenny, mimicking the mate's tone to perfection. Trunnell was now thoroughly mad. If the trunk contained gold, he would soon find out. "'Bring your tools, and don't stand laughing like a loon, you bloody Irishman,' he said to Chips. And the carpenter disappeared quickly. He returned in a moment with a brace and bit, a cold chisel, and a hammer. "'Knock off the top,' said Trunnell. "'Discipline is discipline,' whispered Jenny, "'and I don't want to be around if the captain comes back.' Trunnell was too angry to pay attention to this remark, so he looked sourly on, while the carpenter cut off the rivets holding the lock. "'There you are,' he said, and we crowded around to look in while the mate raised the lid. Off it came easily enough. We stood perfectly silent for an instant. Then all except Trunnell burst out laughing. The trunk was empty. "'Well, sink me down deep, but that were the heaviest air I ever see,' said Trunnell. Then he picked up a slip of paper in the bottom and looked at it a moment. It had writing on it, and he unfolded it to read. I looked over his shoulder and read aloud. "'My dear little mate,' When you get this here billy-ducks, don't do anything rash. Remember the discipline of the ship, first of all, and then take the dollar-bill here and get somebody to cut your hair for you, as it's too long for a man of sense 
and is disagreeable to the ladies. If you thought you had a pot of gold in this here outfit, you get left, sure, and no mistake. Remember money's the root of all evil, and thank your lord, you ain't got none. There ain't no answer to this note, but if you feel like writin' at any time, address it to Bill Jackwell. Care of anybody at all what happens to be around at the time I'm there, see? Some day we'll meet again, for I'm stuck on the sea, and I'm going to buy a boat and appoint you as captain. Only you must cut your hair and trim up your beard some. That's all. Trunnell held the dollar bill he had unfurled from the note in his hand, and dropped the note back into the trunk. "'Tis screwed fast with nine big bolts to the deck,' said Chips, who had examined the outfit carefully. Trunnell scratched his bushy head thoughtfully for a moment longer. "'Is there any such thing as a few men aboard this ship?' he asked. I said I thought there was. "'Then man the boat and row for the love of God!' he roared, springing up the companionway to the deck, leaving us to follow after him. End of chapter